Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Seat Yourself. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. And this is our podcast that covers the news, the items of interest, and anything of relevancy, all in the world of food service and hospitality. By the way, this is episode number 104 of Seat Yourself, and it's published the week of February 1st, 2021. Yes, we're back, and we're happy to be here, the big East Coast snowstorm notwithstanding. And before we get started, I want to thank those of you who texted, called, emailed, sent smoke signals, whatever, about our last episode where I spoke about my nephew, Ben. The commentary we had that went along with that was gratefulness in the face of challenges. Your comments and your feedback have both been much appreciated, but let's face it, we've all had to face challenges during this past year. Life has always presented us with challenges. In our industry, it's no different than any other. But throughout this global pandemic, it's hard to find anybody in our industry who hasn't been affected or had someone very, very close to them that has been affected, and often in very dramatic and very challenging ways. And through it all, I continue to be amazed at the many examples of both compassion and gratefulness that are all around us. So let's make 2021 become the year that we rebuild this industry, the restaurant and hospitality, and let's include travel and tourism with them too, 2021 is going to be the year that we rebuild this industry, one step at a time, and it won't all be straightforward, won't all be linear, but we will get there, I have no doubt. So with all of that, thank you again, and let's get on with today's show. And for today, regular listeners, to see yourself, you'll know Xander Ritson Hansen. Well, Xander's back with us again today, and by now you know that Xander is our go-to person when it comes to cocktail trends and really all things spirits and mixology related. Xander is also the owner of his own Copenhagen-based bar supply company called Scandic Bar. And by the way, there's a brand new Hot Off the Presses catalog available from Scandic Bar, and you can download it from their website, scandicbar.eu. Xander's here today to talk about trends in the worlds of spirits and mixology post-COVID-19. We all know what was going on before COVID struck, and certainly we have an idea of what's been going on during COVID, but Xander's here today to talk about what's going to happen after COVID. So that's what we want to talk to him about today. And so with all that, let's bring him on here. Everybody, please help me welcome Xander Lorenzen Henson back to Seat Yourself. Xander, how have you been? A lot going on in your life these days. A lot of going on. Uh, happy, happy New Year, first of all. Yeah, it's your first time back in the new year. That's great. Yes, uh, it's a good year. 2021 is going to be an amazing year. I, um, I can feel it. And oh, you finished up strong. And, and you tell us a little, tell our listeners, because now your listeners will want to know this. What happened on your personal life? Well, uh, I got my first born son, or actually my first born in general. So, so that was uh, quite a, a game changer, quite exciting. A game changer. Yes, uh, everything just looks different having a newborn. So it, it was. It was and, and you have a little baby boy, and what's his name? Thor. Thor, and how is Thor doing? He's uh, doing well. Uh, I think he's sleeping at this point. Uh, quite the happy, sleepy baby. So uh, we couldn't be happier. A new a, a mixologist in training right now already. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. 
Well, congratulations to you. I know uh, I know everybody will be excited to hear the news about Thor, and everybody's healthy. Mom's healthy. Everybody's good. Yes. Good. 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 Good job. Okay, today. Today, well, I'm very excited about today because uh, when we spoke earlier about what we're going to talk about today in today's episode, we're talking about where you can start to feel some movement. I know there's some places like the UK that are still locked down, but the COVID uh, horizon, we're beginning to see more and more of that in different parts of the world. So I want to talk today about trends, trends that are going to uh, last post-COVID, let's call it, mixology and spirits uh, trends. But I want to start, first of all, with some of the trends that were pre-COVID going on. Then I want to talk about some of the new things we saw during COVID and we're still seeing, and then what's going to be left over afterwards. What's going to be left after COVID has gone, disappeared, The vac- everybody's in the whole friggin' planet is vaccinated, and uh, we're no longer wearing masks, we're out free running around. So I want to know about that. I know mostly our listeners are really excited excited about it. So let's start with what were some of the trends going into COVID this time last year? Well, there there are several trends. uh, And I think it's important to remember that COVID, most of all, just increased some of the trends, uh, made something go faster because we had to adapt. Uh, Give me an example of that. You said they they accelerated the the trends that were already there. Give me an example of what you mean by that. Cocktails to go. Cocktails to go, home parties were already growing all over the world. In the U.S., in, in China, in, in, in Scandinavia, in Europe, we saw cocktails ago already um, rose with with the demand for craft cocktails. And with COVID, since bars were locked down, but the customers still were demanding the craftsmanship, the cocktail, the, the overall customer and taste experience, that trend developed quite fast. And depending on where you were in the world and the domestic laws, alcohol laws, they had to adapt. So, so one country can recompare one with the other, but, but it, it boomed since it was one way uh, to create revenue for restaurants, bars, cafes to do the takeaway, but on a different level, on a higher level. Yeah, it's amazing um, how adaptable the industry is on a global basis. Now, even even uh, government legislation here in the States, you got 50 different governments and a lot of them in a, within the States, they have their own jurisdictions, cities do, municipalities, but they've all seemed to have loosened up. And I think for the most part, we'll continue to be loose on on the cocktails to go situation. I I think there were some uh, local um, ordinances and regulations that prohibited some of that. But legislators here in the States, and I think in other places too, have adapted. And certainly uh, uh, spirits companies have adapted on cocktails to go. Definitely. Um, so that, that's one of the trends. Another one is, uh, I think, also general is retail, the Amazon effect. You can you can call it. What do you mean by the Amazon effect? Tell me about that. Well, I think things are, it's a point of, of reference. Amazon is still quite new for, for me. We don't have it in, in Denmark. So so I look to to the US. They're Amazon free in Denmark. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, still for now. For now. For now. Jeff will come soon. But if you look to how B two C and B two B wholesalers, it's there is a blur happening where what is what, which is basically just like the volumes that more and more dictate the price. Where the traditional chain of supply has has, has changed. If you look at retail, which is in, in becoming a, a bigger and bigger player on the market, they are more e-commerce friendly than than traditional wholesalers. So it's easier to get products buying from your phone online than than, than wholesalers. And with with COVID, the trend of buying online boomed since you needed your products. 
And at, at some point, it was uh, even if you're a B2B or B2C, you needed the product and you, you needed to buy it online. And we saw the retail effect where retailers needed the, um, the expertise, the content from, from bartenders, chefs, waiters, but they also need the quality products. So we saw a shift in where some products you could only buy in wholesalers actually went into retail, not all of them, but in, you, we saw a shift where retail, which is normally low-end products, begin to take more and more high-quality spirits, high-quality wines, beers. They started taking more risk when it comes to taking in smaller local distilleries, uh, craftsmanships, because the demand grew since they couldn't go to the local store or local bar to buy it. I know here in the States, you have a couple of sites that specialize in that, uh, one called Drizzly, another one called Caskers, and there's, there's a half a dozen other ones, too, that, are, that go on. And I think that you, what you're seeing now is distilleries in certain parts of the world. I know in the UK, you can buy direct from distilleries uh, via the website, and uh, the delivery, I, and COVID has really accelerated that impact. I agree with you there. I, and that's probably going to stick around, I think, because, you know, the other interesting thing, it gives a chance to too, for the smaller, really craft-oriented spirits manufacturers to access the market. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and there, are some, there are some spirits I've noticed that are only sold online. And they're created and, and, and they may be off-brands. There's no history. No, it's, it's just a online-branded market. And there's, there's a bunch of gins that I've seen that, have, that are sold only online. That's another interesting way to get to the consumer market. And there's actually two different elements that are hitting the same, same area when, when regarding only online. Because what we see there is that one thing is the e-commerce part. You cannot survive if you don't have an e-commerce strategy. That's is how the world we're in. At the same time, we see that a trend which was already happening is the communal branding, uh, where the consumer actually more and more dictates the branding of the actual brand itself, uh, since the brands, which social media are giving the power to the end consumer. COVID has increased the trend where it's actually the end consumer who, who brand your product then to adapt into your marketing strategy. And because uh, so, uh, on, on, on during COVID, we were so dependent on, on social media to interact, we, we, we saw how, how brands were even more dependent on the consumer. And, and traditional, we always think when, when branding, well, it's, it's the Heineken decides what to do, but it's not really Heineken or Diageo. It's actually the end consumer who dictates the branding. And with, with, with COVID or social media, we could really see how the branding change its direction. And that was definitely pushed by, by, by COVID. Let's talk about low and no alcohol trends. They were there before COVID struck. And now, is that, is that another example of a, a trend that was existing and possibly was accelerated due to uh, COVID? Or what do you think? From Denmark, we have had the last um, eight, 10 years, Germany as well, France, and also no, there are several in, in, in the US. And it's something that has been growing slowly. But even before COVID, it's, it's starting to grow since the demand came and the, the, the quality became better. But COVID has definitely increased the demands. In Denmark, we saw the general consumption of alcohol increase. But at the same time, you still want a, a non-alcoholic or a low-proof alternative. And uh, last time we spoke, I was drinking a non-alcoholic IPA, which 
is actually that's right. It's actually my favorite uh, at this point, where it's it's, it's it's better than traditional IPA, uh, IPAs, which says how far we have gone uh, on the quality of of brewing low proof beer, non alcoholic beer, and the same with spirits. Since we last talked, Giacchio is now working. I think it's Giacchio working on on, on, a, on a low proof spirit, and we see uh, Germany, France, the UK, several distilleries are now working on that as well so with covid with social media with us being at home it has has increased the demand for not just high-end spirits and high proof but also on the other range where you have a, a low proof alternative i've got a question for you that it's, i'm curious about how did we square up the the idea of growth in low and no alcohol spirits with the higher alcohol content higher volume the cash strength spirits, particularly in, in whiskeys and uh, and so forth. Because I know Maker's Mark over here, some of the bourbons have gone, just continue to increase their ABV. I don't know if it's the premiumization of the product. They, they're trying to appeal to a very small niche, but they're obviously higher priced too. Is that just the yin and the yang of the marketplace? I don't think you can, you can compare those two. It's apple and oranges. Uh, if you go to a store, you want some fruit, Somebody wants a banana, somebody wants an orange, somebody wants uh, uh, something else. And there will always be a market for uh, high-proof scotch, always for, for gin. But there are some consumers that on, on a Monday evening would like to have the sensation of enjoying some beverages, but doesn't really want to consume a beverage. You, you have consumers who, who are going to meet some friends they just want to uh, enjoy a drink with, with a co-worker before going to the next meeting but they don't want to be intoxicated or consume alcohol so so i wouldn't compare those two while it is within uh, food and beverage industry it's for me two different things it's just two different products within in the same industry so if you're having a home party you want to buy some beer some some food some 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 bourbon uh, but you're also gonna buy, buy some some low proof non-alcoholic, some some sparkling. It, it's gonna it's gonna come naturally, since it's just one of many things. So, so you so you're saying that both of those are gonna be subsets of the the spirits category, appealing to both different consumers and different types of occasions. I mean, you, you mentioned a great one. You know, it was a great analogy. It's Monday night. You just want to meet with some people. You don't want to stay out late, but you still want to enjoy uh, enjoy a good adult beverage. And so you go to a low or a no alcohol beverage uh, versus a Saturday night maybe where you're doing a premium uh, beverage. The most difficult part is, is educating the consumers, actually explaining this is not a rum and coke where you remove the rum. But this is actually a new product. It's an entity of its own. That will be the most difficult time. And, and it takes time to, to people to taste it, to approve it. They, okay, I can, I can read this. And, and also, yeah, I think what you're going to see is that you're going to find some, some low-proof spirit, which is at the same price range as, as regular spirit. I wouldn't be surprised if you can find a low-proof spirit for like a bourbon taste or a similar hitting um, $18 a bottle, I wouldn't be surprised because the craftsmanship, the distillery itself still costs. And, and craftsmanship costs to, to produce uh, if it's with proof or, or without proof. 
What about, uh, you talk about consumer education, and I'm thinking back of what you said a few minutes ago about consumer driving branding. And, and I think you're right on, on some of that. And, I, I, and I, when I think of consumers driving branding, I, I see that on, on the food front. I'm now on the beverage front we're talking about here, the mixology and the spirits front. Is that consumer driving that healthier, more natural ingredients built into uh, some of this, the storytelling of, of the spirits? The, the provenance, uh, if you will? I think it's one of the stereotypes that is to some extent true, but I would classify it as a stereotype when you think about that it's the healthy effect. I would actually argue go away from the healthy effect because if you go with healthy, you will also scare some consumers away. It's just a product that tastes really good. If you like this taste of, of a non-alcoholic IPA beer, you should drink this. We had a short conversation um, some time ago. It was Monday evening. I, I wanted a beer. I didn't want any alcohol. I had an IPA, and it was my favorite. I, I didn't look at how many carbs there was in there. I chose because of the taste. But, is, but isn't the consumer who wants that low-alcohol beverage, aren't they also a health-conscious consumer, wouldn't you say? I mean, just intuitively? I think some, but the more the low proof will be recognized within one, one culture, one, one country the more focused it will be on the taste. While it often starts as low-carb or healthy or gluten-free, often starts with, 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 with that. In the end, it will be the taste. And, and like it's, it's Monday or it's Wednesday evening. I'm going to have a meeting with two co-workers, but I'm going home to the family. I don't, I'm, I'm driving. I don't really want alcohol, but I want this the social interaction. I'm just going to order a, a non-alcoholic wine. But then I, I can still drive and everything. But it, t it tastes just like wine and maybe even better. So, But but I'm not thinking about healthy. I'm just thinking about like, I don't really want alcohol right now. Okay, maybe let's not talk about healthy then, but let's talk about more mature, more responsible. I want to be. I want to be, uh, I wanna be uh, thought of as the the adult in the room, maybe or that kind I of think, thing. I think if you look from 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 that point of view, where I'm have a whole week ahead of me, I don't really want that. But maybe later the week I, I can. But I, I still want the enjoyment. I want the the taste sensation. But on on, on Thursday, I'm I'm gonna get me an old fashioned. So from from that point of view, I, I would definitely agree. From the health. I think it's a stereotype that still works many places around the world, but it's getting less and less significant. We've talked about them a few times, and uh, and you always have good comments on these ready-to-drink cocktails that, that are sold like that. What, what, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on where that's, that whole trend was, where it is now, and what will happen once we come out of COVID. Because to me, the, the RTDs or the ready-to-drink uh, cocktails, they're, they're just so easy and so simple. They lend themselves into the in-home experience. But what happens when we're no longer bound to stay at home? I think this that's one of the most interesting trends. Before COVID, there was a rise of, of craftsmanship ready-to-drink cocktails, but it was still early development. And there's a lot of canned. I'm not really a, a fan of, of a canned cocktail, to be honest. But the mainstream, the large suppliers, they had a ready-to-drink, uh, which was maybe not the best kind of cocktail. Then COVID came, uh, and where you, you see now, if you look at some of the, the, the major innovation with spirits, that the larger companies, they had to recognize, okay, everybody's doing craft cocktails uh, home. We need to step up. And they did, where they are still selling to around the same price, but they actually increased the quality of the, the ingredients they put into to the can, and some even um, um, changed the can to a bottle. 
since ballroom is looks a bit more uh, craftsmanship and there's a, there's a higher standard um, and if you look as a customer you look at a, a, a bottle and a can you you believe that the, the bottle has a higher quality uh, it's more heavy it's transparent you know what's inside the bottle um so so, so covid definitely pushed large producers to to rethink that you cannot just add the rest over into a can and sell you actually need to put some marketing and some, some quality in, into the product and that will definitely change the market and and going back to to retail combine this with, with retail sale and e-commerce uh, has definitely helped um, our um, ready to drink uh, craft cocktail adventure for both small companies but also larger producers yeah, I mean, I don't follow the packaging world, but I know at one point, not long ago, there was a problem for craft beer people to get cans. So there was a shortage of cans or whatever, and, and the price of them went up. So, and But now I think that as people all over the world have stayed at home and entertained within their bubble, so to speak, I think the ready-to-drink cocktail has become uh, acceptable from both a quality standpoint, but also a sociology standpoint. It's acceptable to pour somebody on RTD because the quality has improved and, and everybody's accepting of it, whether it be an old-fashioned or a margarita, a pre-made margarita or whatever. But the quality component has to be there as well. And 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 then you just then you get into the, the branding the, or the even in some cases the co-branding. So I, I think there's a lot going on in spirits and mixology right now and there's a lot of movement. I love it. What about the idea of cocktail kits? Will that continue? Uh, I know that uh, there's uh, within my uh, very small bubble of people that I interact with, there seems to be a lot of discussion about making their own cocktails too. So the cocktail kit, is that going to continue on, do you think? I, th- I think the home bar will, will definitely have a permanent place in, in the future. Some countries are more used to it than others. I think the U.S. The, there's always a bowl of bourbon somewhere and a shaker, but definitely the, the home kit, the home bar has grown. Um, we, we we see if you look at at uh, U.S. wholesalers and retail stores, they're taking more and more in barware, and where before for retail where the barware was maybe not of the highest quality, they have stepped up as well. And because consumers has have many have just been home for many months, they needed something to do. So they read on Google, they went on Amazon, they started reading, and they, they actually invested uh, more time to learn what is different from a three-piece shaker uh, and a Boston shaker, what is different from this spirit to this spirit, which craft gin is closest to me, how can I support my local producer? So so like the, the whole home industry has, has grown, and I think it's going to grow even further and like the interest party, so who is driving it? Is it retail pushing the new product or is the end consumer demanding new products? So I think right now we have a, a, a chicken and the egg. Like who, who is actually pushing the other one to, to increase their range? Because consumers, is, they, they now know how much products are in the market. They, they now know how many different ranges they can get and how a, a gin can taste very differently from depending on which tonic you have. So consumers are buying now 12 different tonics with one gin to taste them out and then uh, 12 different gin for one tonic to taste that. So so I think the the whole home bar will only increase. And not just with barware, also glassware, home barrels, one gallons to produce yourself. 
it, it will only grow. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a lot, as I said before, I think there's a lot going on in the, in the spirits category, and we want to continue this conversation. I'm going to take a break in a, right now, and where everybody uh, knows uh, our good friend of, the, of uh, See Yourself, Zandel Redson Hansen, and we're here talking about trends, trends pre-COVID, trends during COVID, and really the important part is what's going to hang around post-COVID. So we'll be back with more of uh, Zandel Redson Hansen in one minute. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going-ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here with Xander Ritson Hansen, and we're talking cocktails as we always do with Xander. He is our cocktail guru here on Seat Yourself. We're talking about trends pre-COVID, during COVID, and most importantly, post-COVID. Uh, one subject, Xander, we didn't touch on uh, in the first segment, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on what about local people drinking local? I know it's been people talk about eating local, uh, farm to fork and all that. What about drinking local? I think everything local is going to grow, and I think it's going to stay for a few years at least. It depends on the country and how like the national feeling is to one another. But in general, buying local, buy American products if you're in America, um, like the whole buy local is only going to grow. And I think the more the brands, producers can emphasize to the customers, this is a local gin, it's a local water source, all the ingredients are locally grown. The more you can use that, the higher the price, but the more loyal the customers will be. So that theme is probably going to stay for quite a while since no matter where you are in the world the country is suffering there's not really any country making that much money right now and the way to increase the, your your the, the earnings of the country is to buy the country's own production uh, line so, so i think that the whole local theme is going to grow for a few years to come still i think that for a long time pre-covid there were um certain regions I know of this country where you could go, you'd have craft beer tourism. You'd go to an area where literally hotels would build their volume of business around the local craft breweries. You see that happening with spirits as well? You just mentioned gin. It seems like there's a gin joint on every corner these days. Well, the trend was already uh, there. I, I, last time I was in Oregon, I was uh, visiting the different breweries, so, so so I know from first-hand experience. But we see that with spirits, uh, some bars, there's one in Seattle, where it's uh, within a specific range, there are only local products. And, and we see that even more and more and more. And I definitely, I, I could imagine that local hotels will team up with local producers and do some sightseeing interaction, uh, tasting, gin tasting, where people will purchase a ticket, $60, and then and a brand ambassador will come in and explain, well, this is what you, this is the note you can taste. So, so in, in compared to what we said before, uh, with education and people in online, they're researching more. Uh, Post-COVID, I believe that many branches of our industry will, will use that to keep the local, but also that customers are actually, um, they, they want to learn more. They want to like, experience the full flavor 
of the product. So definitely the, the local element will, will grow. There can be some, some good business being made there. Yeah, I was really surprised to learn recently that Scotland, who's made it, you know, for decades and hundreds of years, has been selling whiskeys around the world, and and it's known for its great whiskeys, fantastic whiskeys, actually. And and now all of a sudden, there's something like three hundred to four hundred gin distilleries in Scotland as well. And so you're starting to see Scotland become a destination for, you know, for gins as well. And so I, I think that's interesting to watch that and how areas and regions be, become known for certain types of spirits. Scotland has quite amazing distilleries. And like in, in Edinburgh, there is also amazing gin distilleries. So if you go to Edinburgh or Glasgow, there are quite new ways of distill, different flavors. Um, so, so yes, you, you traditional thing, for example, Scotland on, on, on a whiskey. But if you look into to different spirits, um, even low proof, they are uh, one of the front runners as well. And they have really uh, adapted the come to us, see distilleries and, and taste. But they've done it for many, many years. And during COVID, they made it online, uh, was virtual, which I believe they will continue with. Uh, and if you combine virtual, but also post-COVID, where you visit, there, there will be a boom within uh, uh, visiting your local, learning more, experiencing more. So that branch will, will definitely grow. For a long time, it seems like the whole spirits category, uh, and now we're back to the uh, to the direct to the consumer, was all driven by could you get it? Could you get your spirits? Could you get your whiskey, your gin, your tequila, whatever? Could you get it on the shelf of a retail outlet? And now it seems because the internet, e-commerce, back to your point, allows the smaller person, smaller distillery, that smaller uh, batch made, if you want to call it, company to get their their brand out to the consumer and tell their story. And you, you're a great storyteller. You believe in storytelling. And I, I think that storytelling component allows the consumer to connect, connects emotionally with the, with the spirit. And, and I think spirits companies are getting much, much better. The craft beer companies will lead the way. I, I got to give them credit. But I think spirits companies are coming on strong too. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, that storytelling and that connection? Peace. Yes, definitely. Uh, as you mentioned yourself, I'm quite the fan of storytelling and, and the whole building a universe around your brand. And, and what's interesting with, with COVID is e-commerce is an interesting factor. In the old days, you had to pay for the shelf space and there are a lot of hidden fees. While with e-commerce, if you, if you build your brand story correctly and you tell the story, with Google or Bing or what kind of service you're using, you can target your customers very specifically and you can create a demand at the consumer so when they go to the stores the retail store wholesalers they are they are craving the product so you can get your product on the shelf without paying since you use the money for for building the, your, your story and it will actually increase the strength of your brand if you can tell the story correctly um so so definitely there there has been a, a change when it comes to it and for smaller distilleries uh, making uh, we saw here in Denmark and in Finland and in Germany a lot of uh, online tastings where you got a kit sent to them. They had the whole experience through your, your screen. Companies did it with employees to lighten the mood. So, so, so the whole storytelling through uh, digital online e-commerce has, has grown. And my biggest concern is that some companies will go back to what it was before. If they do that, they will lose. Uh, we, 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 we now know what the future looks like. COVID showed us 
and now you need to, to adapt and, and increase. Yeah, it isn't like the big guys are going to just continue to dominate because now the little companies, and it's interesting, I'm always interested when big, big, large I'll call them conglomerates, but Diageo, and I don't mean to pick on Diageo. Diageo is one of the greatest uh, spirits companies in the world. But when they start buying up smaller brands and smaller categories and things, because I, I think that today's consumer is, again, interested in the in the story behind the brand. What does that brand stand for? I mean, we live in such a branded world, whether it's the clothes we wear, the car we drive, or the spirits we drink. And that's who we are. And we identify with it with uh, these brands. And I, I think that more and more that story becomes as important. The quality certainly needs to be up. You can't have bad, a poor quality car no matter and, and sell a lot of them, no matter how sexy the ads are. Quality is a, a core piece of the DNA. But, but I really think the whole issue of the story the, behind the brand, and one of the pieces to the story more and more these days is sustainability. And we've talked about sustainability here. And I think spirits brands really, they're going to have to impress upon people the pureness of the product, but also the impact that that product might have on the climate on the environment around them. And uh, it's not enough just to have uh, these plastic six-pack holders that go in the ocean or whatever. You've got to have a, a, a sustainability story behind your brand too, don't you think? Uh, definitely. And you actually uh, mentioned it. It's all about um, identification that can you identify with the product you're consuming. And what's interesting with, with Spirit West, uh, eco-friendliness will come everywhere either by consumer pushing the trend or by uh, law registration. In, in, in Europe, plastic straws are already legal, so so they needed to find something else in, in, instead. And we see large companies like uh, Pinot and, and Carlsberg uh, using eco-friendly packaging, uh, glue to hold the cans together, and um, they just announced that a new bottle uh, will be launched, which is 100 eco-friendly. So, so the whole trend will only grow. And at this point, it is also becoming a good business. It's often becoming more and more cheaper to use recycled material. You have a better impact on the world. Some people don't really care. A lot of people care. So, so, so you actually are saving money. You are uh, decreasing your CO two footprint, and and you're you're adding the value that the end consumer is is, is demanding. And we will soon come to a place where you have two products identical to one another. One is $2 more expensive, but it's eco-friendly. The consumer will take the more eco-friendly one because we are slowly being educated by our friends, our social network, that this is the way we will go. So so maybe um, you're not at the place right now, but just social interaction, social norm will slowly change our perception of the world. So if you have two identical products, Two bourbons, one is an eco-friendly, but more expensive. You're going to take the more expensive one. And slowly, when that happens, I believe that the alternative, which is the common right now, will disappear. At one point, it will, it will not make sense to make a new glass bottle, but you'll make it from reused glass. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's that feel-good component to the buying decision. When the consumer is standing in front of the shelf deciding which bourbon or which whiskey or which gin to buy – Ultimately, 
they'll make a decision, whatever decision they do. But a big part of that, a growing part of that is the, the eco-friendly piece you call it, whether it's sustainability or you know, reusing recycled glass, whatever. It, but that feel good component, I want to feel good where I, where I spend my money. That's how I vote. If we look from the producer's point of view and look from, from revenue point of view, there's oh, if you look from glass bottle or glass uh, cocktail glass, there's only so much sand in the world, and glass is produced from melting sand. And we're already there where it's getting easier and cheaper to use reuse glass in a new bottle or glass than digging up sand and transporting it from one area of the world to the other area of the world. So we are already there where... Uh, last producers are looking into, well, we have a good story uh, if we promote it correctly, and it's starting to get cheaper to use an eco-friendly solution. So if you have a financial benefit and the customer are getting more happy, uh, what is holding you back? So, so, so we are already there where eco-friendly is already getting into the supply chain, but brands often aren't really able to, to explain that to the end customer yet. But it's already in the supply chain if you look to, to some of the major glass producing countries and cocktail glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think someday uh, I want to have you back on here and just talk about the storytelling component within the spirits business. And we'll we'll pull some ads. To, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking this as we're I'm listening to you talk, is that we'll pull some ads from uh, a variety of places and just talk about those ads and what the story that's being told in those ads are. I, I mean, I think that'd be a great segment. I, I would enjoy it, and I think our listeners would too. I would love to be. I've got a tricky question for you. And you ready? You look like you're ready for a tricky question here today. Tell me about cannabis and what that's doing, the cannabis industry, what it's doing to the spirits and mixology industry. Well, what's the impact of cannabis? I would say quite low. I don't know in, in the U.S. Cannabis has, has been there for a few years. We, we see it already used in spirits. To be honest, for me, it's, it's more... Uh, a fun uh, giveaway if you have a bourbon-infused cannabis. I, I think what's more interesting is where you can use it in in, in the raw material part. In the packaging, or you mean, or in the in the spirits itself? Sustainability, but in the spirit itself, I don't I don't see it grow that much. Um, but I haven't seen it that much. We we had a few years in Europe, and many countries you you can use it. And some you can, but I, I don't see the biggest growth of it. I think it's it's still more a, a smoking. Uh, product, but do you see the smoking of cannabis and, uh, and marijuana? Do you, do you see that taking sales and the market share away from uh, away from spirits? I, I think it's going to grow. It's becoming more and more legal. I think it's the same as with low spirits and, and, and high in bourbon. It's orange and apples. I, I don't see why one will take sales from the other. Uh, it's two different um, experiences, and some people will like to to enjoy that. Others uh, others won't. It's becoming more and more legal. So I think it's illegal here, but it's not really enforced. And we see it legalized more and more. So there will be some, but people who are drinking, uh, but also smoking a cigarette, it doesn't really work against one another. So, so I, I don't see them working against one another. Um, might interact, but I, for me, it's apples and oranges, to be honest. Well, I'm I'm thinking of my friends, the glassware manufacturers, uh, and the business that they may they may lose because of the growth of cannabis. But we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I I think uh, it's interesting. More and more people legalizing it. So, okay, I want to finish up today. It's been a great session uh, as always, and I want to finish up with something. We talk a lot about the ready to drink uh, in the home, the consumer. I want to talk about 
the on-premise, the in the bar, in the restaurants, as we particularly as we come out of COVID. And what do you envision that the spirits companies themselves are going to do to jumpstart on-premise business as we loosen up and come out of the because spirits companies have notoriously been high promoters, a lot of promotional money spent in that industry. What are you what kinds of events and, and things do you see happening post-COVID to jumpstart that segment? Difficult question. I think it depends on so many things. I would hope that spirit brands would jump in and help the bars, the restaurant, the hotel bars with advertisements. Uh, because if the bars sell cocktails, they sell booze. So I would hope that they would use all the marketing for which they normally use in five years, uh, all the, uh, in this year, to help the bars kickstart the sales. And um, that's, that's my biggest hope. But I'm also hoping that they didn't wait until now to help the bars. I hope that they were with the bars, the restaurant owners, doing COVID, helping them wherever they could. But I think there are, there are many ways they could kickstart it. You can really go back to what before COVID. Um, if you have craft cocktails, cocktails to go, keep working on, on that, increase your range uh, of customers. But I would hope Spirit Branch will look into what have COVID shown us, what it has taught us, how can we reach the end consumer and giving that knowledge and education to the bar owners the, the, and the restaurants. But also look into like how, how else can they grow? What we saw during COVID is brand ambassadors where all of a sudden... Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I see that term brand ambassador around a lot. I was going to ask you about that. Tell me about brand ambassadorship. Oh, that's, isn't, uh, that, isn't, isn't everybody a brand ambassador? Well, well basically, yes. In, in theory, everybody who, who loves a brand uh, is a brand ambassador. But brand ambassador is quite interesting because it, it's, it's an um, occupation that is is very much debated uh, because um, it, it depends on the position of the company you're working for. But a brand ambassador is representing the brand uh, of the company, hosting masterclasses, teaching bartenders and consumers, are going to retail. And what's interesting, we saw, depending on the company and the financial status, of course, during COVID, but we saw brand ambassadors being used more frequently to teach the end consumer about the products, uh, which is interesting for, for the end consumer because now they got a face on the actual product. Where before it was the local bartender, but now they saw the same face on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. And this is the same person, same brand ambassador, and also interacting with the end consumer. So if you had an online masterclass through Instagram, you had a direct line with the brand ambassador. So for the end consumer, you had a direct line to the brand that you were consuming. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that spirit companies will use that knowledge and, and that value that person has to go to bars, to go to restaurants, to help them increase their revenue, their sales. But that in, in return will help the spirit brands increase their uh, sales. And, and we saw uh, during COVID that brand ambassadors were becoming more and more popular since they, they were the middleman between the brand and, and the end consumer. Do you see, uh, they've been around for a while, but food and wine festivals and uh, have been very popular here in the States. Do you see that same kind of uh, event-driven promotional vehicle? Do you see that for the spirits category as well? Definitely. As, as soon as the, um, the country will open, people will start drinking. And if you have a place where you can all meet to drink, people will go there. We cannot underestimate how, how 
difficult it has been to be locked in for so many months uh, without seeing one's friend. The human uh, nature is we are social beings. We can't uh, sustain ourselves if we are alone all the time. So we need the social interaction. And festivals, beer festivals, uh, wine, tasting festivals, food festivals, all kinds will, will grow from here. Right? It looks like everybody will be vaccinated by June. And I believe as soon as we hit that last day, all the festivals will, will open uh, within a month and people will go out because now they're vaccinated, so there's no reason to have any lockdown. And I think that is is universal to every, every country. And I think what's interesting is that the festivals before was maybe only a few products will have a larger range because now we saw by COVID that the end consumer's knowledge of products have, have grown. So when we hit the festivals, there will be a, a larger range. The quality will have grown up. And depending on where you're in the world, it might even be an eco-friendly uh, cups you get the beer in, an eco-friendly uh, uh, plastic glass for your wine. So, so when we hit the festivals, you will see all the benefits, quote-unquote, from, from COVID into the festival and, and, and bar scene. But yeah, if everybody vaccinated, why do we need to be locked down so people will go out and, and enjoy themselves? Yeah, I think that uh, we say it all the time that it's the greatest thing ever is that human beings are hardwired to connect with other human beings. And I and I think you're I think where the world is ready for it. And I think it's coming. And uh, I'm glad to hear you agree that the bar business, the on premise business is going to come back because we want it to come back stronger and better than ever. And I think with all the new types of spirits, the new producers, the new the the consumer is much more aware and much more educated to use the term you've been using here today. And I think uh, I think the world's ready for it. So I'm very, very excited. Yeah, and if, if you um, if you look at it from a financial and corporation point of view, like COVID is the worst thing that's happened for the world for many many years. Uh, nobody's arguing that. Uh, but if you were to look at some of the positive things, uh, education and m- many other things has come. And while some in the hospitality has, has closed, others has grown and uh, got a new market. So when we come out of this, the ones who will be there, while sad for the ones closed down. Uh, will grow even faster. And, and I think smaller distilleries have had higher sales or will grow even faster because they had to change. They, they, they are more adaptable, so they have to change so, so that their market will grow as, as well. So I think it's going to be an interesting 2021, 2022, and 2023 where we will see the, the, the end result, the, um, the consequences, the, the positive consequences of, of this crisis. It'll be exciting. Yeah. It'll be exciting. We're here with Zandler Ritz and Hansen, and we're talking about trends and uh, post-COVID, most importantly, and it's been great. We've just dialed down through about 45 minutes of really interesting uh, perspectives, as Xander always brings to us. And Xander, thanks for your time again today. I know you today's a busy day, and uh, I appreciate for our listeners. I say thank you for all the good tips and all the vision that you provide to this uh, this program. So uh, we'll be back with you. And I wrote, I, mean, I took a note, we're going to talk about spirit storytelling in our next episode. Yeah, thanks so, for having me back again. I'm looking forward to it. It's always a pleasure. I always learn from Zandler Ritson Hansen. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.